a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. If you were here last week, you'll know that we started a new series looking at the book of 1 Peter. So uh, if you're bright, then you probably turned to 1 Peter already. And uh, I'm impressed some of you have. That's that's pretty good. (coughs) Others of you are thinking, oh, I wish I'd turned to 1 Peter early. But we're going to continue in our series. If you missed last week, uh, then you can get it. It's online. It's on the website. You can download it. Or you can get it as a podcast, however you choose. If you want it on a CD, if you haven't got internet access, we can even do that for you. Just don't ask for it on a tape. I'm not sure that we can quite manage that. Um, but I want to continue this morning uh, at the next passage, if you like, in the letter that Peter writes. So we're looking at 1 Peter, chapter 1, and we're going to start reading this week at verse 13. So 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 13. We'll read through to the first part of chapter 2. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially... Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And this, is, was the, this was the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. <clears throat> this passage we've read here starts with uh, the words, uh, in, the, in the NIV at least, therefore, in verse 13. And it's a great hinge word. If you ever come across the word therefore, when you're reading the Bible, if you start with that word, then you need to go back a few verses and, and look at what was said before. Because it's a link from one section to another. Therefore, because of this, you can expect now to have to do something. And this is what the Bible expects from you and me. It's a bridge word. It links these two sections together. 
Uh, I may have said before that Martin Lloyd-Jones, the the great 20th century uh, Bible preacher and teacher, says this about the word therefore. He says, I sometimes think that the whole secret of the Christian life (coughs) is to know how to use the word therefore. The Christian life, he says, is in many ways a matter of logic, a matter of deduction. The Christians who have shined most brightly throughout the centuries have always been those who have been able to use this therefore. Correspondingly, most failures in the Christian life uh, are to be traced to an inability to use this word and to deduce what we should and what we ought from the great doctrine we've been studying. What's he saying? He's putting a link between doctrine, what you believe, and practice, what you do. He's saying that there is a link between theory and practice. We read the Bible, we're stirred by its truth, we're encouraged by the doctrine that we read, and now you have to do something. So this word therefore that Peter uses to to hinge this passage together is referring to the great blessings that he's spoken about already that come from salvation. So he he says, doesn't he, in the first part of chapter 1, in his great mercy he has given us new birth. That's a great gift, isn't it? Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, into an inheritance. And he goes on, so therefore... Because of these things, because of what God has done for you, therefore, you can now expect to do something. And that's what we're going to look at this week. What comes after this word, therefore. So why don't we pray and see what Peter expects us to do as a result of the great things that he's already talked about in the first part of his letter. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this letter that Peter wrote and uh, we pray now that you would speak to us from it. We thank you for uh, the truth that is contained within it and Holy Spirit, we pray now that you would come and be our teacher. Help us to understand what we read. Help us to put into practice what we hear. We might live for you and honour you. So come Holy Spirit, we ask now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Peter says, therefore, verse 13, if you've got your Bibles in front of you, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. It's a bit like you can imagine a sportsman or sportswoman psyching themselves up, if you like, before a race or or a competition. You can watch them, can't you? Uh, We we watched uh, a bit of uh, a programme on television last night. What's it called, that, that what we were watching? Wipeout. Did any of you see that? Probably you've got better things to do than watch trashy Saturday night telly. But anyway, it's this sort of sports competition, if you like, and you see the competitors at the beginning of it sort of standing and getting themselves ready, ready to go, ready to sort of give themselves this race that is ahead of them. And you look at it and think, they're mad. But you can, you can see them there sort of getting ready, preparing uh, to, to get into this race to give themselves, to to get to the end in the fastest possible time. First century readers of Peter's letter may not have been familiar with that particular television programme, perhaps, (laughs) but they would have been very familiar 
uh, with, with the, the games, the sort of races. And they would have been familiar with the sort of long flowing garments that would have been worn in that day. I was going to wear a long flowing garment to illustrate my point to you, but wasn't able to get hold of one in time. You'll just have to imagine it. But what would happen when they were getting ready for a strenuous activity or a race, perhaps? It'd be a sort of long flowing thing. So you get the freight and gird your loins, wouldn't you? And you, you sort of, they'd sort of tuck it together and bring it up between their legs and sort of tie it around their waist. So it wasn't around their ankles. They weren't going to trip over it. <laughs> I could have got a long flying garment for you to wear, Matt, and you could have demonstrated it to maybe on an. Maybe on another occasion that we can do that. But they would have been familiar with this. So they would have known that if you're going to enter a race, if you were in the games maybe, you'd have to prepare yourself before you started. You'd have to get ready. Peter is saying here, get your minds ready. Just as you'd get yourself ready physically for action, get your mind ready. So the Christian life is not passive. You do not become a Christian and then just sort of sit around waiting for God to take you to heaven. Now, sometimes Christians act like that's the case. Maybe you've met some over the years. I don't know any here, but I've met one or two in my time. And you think, they're just not doing anything. They're just sort of waiting for, for God to take them out of this world and just sort of sitting there doing nothing. But that's not the impression that the Bible gives of the Christian life. The Christian life is active. Heaven is going to be active. I don't know what you imagine heaven to be like, but it's not going to be you sitting around on a cloud with a harp in one hand and a gin and tonic in the other. I'm really sorry if that was your picture of what's going to happen, but it's not going to be like that. It's going to be activity in heaven that you can give yourselves to. It's going to be active. So you might as well get used to it now. Prepare your minds for action. Prepare for action, says Peter. It's a great passage for a new year, isn't it? I got uh, in the post this week details of an offer from a a particular Derby gym trying to entice me, I I could say entice me back, because there was a time when I went, but it was a long time ago, entice me into membership with their special offer for the new year, encouraging me to prepare my body for the, the year ahead. And the whole idea of their marketing campaign was, you know, to get my body in shape, to get, obviously I don't need to do that, it's in good shape already, you would say, wouldn't you? (laughs) Please. (laughs) Thank you. But they were saying, get your body ready. Peter's saying this, get your mind ready. Get it ready for action. Get ready to do something. So are you ready? Peter goes on to explain how you do this. The summary list might be these sort of points. We'll look at them in a moment. But he goes on. So get ready, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Don't conform to the evil desires you used to have. Be holy. Love one another. Rid yourself of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Crave pure spiritual milk. There's some things there for us to do and to put into action in our lives. (coughs) So the first one there in verse 13 is be self-controlled. Be self-controlled, says Peter. If you you head out into any city centre on a Saturday night, 
Self-control is probably not the virtue that you would see the most of. It's not the world's most popular virtue, isn't it? Too many people probably would have allowed alcohol or other substances to totally suppress any sense of self-control that they they may have normally. And if you listen to popular radio or or read popular newspapers, they won't necessarily be advocating self-control as to what you should be giving yourself to. But God knows different. Often those people you might speak to on a Saturday night by the time Sunday morning comes, they have wished that they had more self-control with their head pounding and hiding in a darkened room somewhere. Self-control always seems like a good idea after the event. What Peter's saying is, be self-controlled. We should be great examples of people who are self-controlled. In a moment, we'll look at what this means for us. He goes on, uh, still in that same verse, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you. So what is your hope set on? The question is not, have you set your hope on something? Because each of us hope in something, or maybe someone, regardless of whether we think about it consciously or not. The question is, what is your hope set on? Think about it just for a moment. What's your hope set on? If you were to go to your local news agents at around five o'clock, on a Saturday afternoon, <clears throat> you may see a queue of people who have set their hope in some winning numbers on the lottery, hoping that their, their numbers would come in, thinking that if they can just win a few million pounds, then their lives will be perfect. Well, yes, the money might well pay off the mortgage, buy a new car, and uh, give them some nice stuff. But personal happiness, real joy, forgiveness, eternal life? Don't think so. It's not going to happen. But anyway, what happens when the money runs out? As invariably, money has a tendency to do. What have you set your hope on? Is it a lottery? (laughs) Is it a promotion? Is it a relationship? Is it living for God? What is it that you've set your hope on? For Peter, this hope that he's referring to is much more than a vague wish or or an idle dream. This is a confident expectation. Peter is confident that that which God has promised will happen when Jesus returns. There isn't any doubt in his mind here. It's a living hope. And because of this hope, Peter commands his readers to live in a certain way because of the hope that that is coming. And his instructions, friends, are to us as well. So we've got some things that we can learn from this passage as we work our way through. So verse 14, Peter says, Do not conform to the evil desires you used to have. Peter knows that his readers used to have Sinful desires. So did he. And he's real enough to know that <clears throat> this was something that he used to have. He's real enough, <clears throat> excuse me, he's real enough to know that some of them might still be struggling with some of those same sinful desires. Maybe you're struggling this morning with some of those same sinful desires. 
Listen to how the message translation of the Bible puts this verse from 1 Peter. <coughs> 1 Peter 1 verse 13 from the message says this. So roll up your sleeves, put your mind in gear, be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, you do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life. A life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. That's a great way of putting it, isn't it? This way of life shaped by God's life in us. The Holy Spirit comes to change us from within. So this morning, if you're finding it hard to be self-controlled, for example, if there's something you're particularly struggling with, even if perhaps you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus this morning, if you haven't entered into that relationship with him, you'll just come with a friend maybe to find out more what this Christian thing is all about. Well, here's the key. Yes, there'll be some things that you need to do practically to help being self-controlled. Maybe getting rid of some stuff or changing some of your friends or, or changing your viewing habits, whatever it might be for you. But ultimately, it's about the Holy Spirit working in you to change you from the inside out. That's how it works. Giving him free reign to change you from the inside out. Not by living by a list of rules and regulations, but inviting the Holy Spirit to come and live within you and to change you from the inside out. Paul puts it like this to his letter to the Romans. Romans 12, first couple of verses, says this. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Allowing God to renew your mind. J.B. Phillips, in his translation of the New Testament, puts it like this. I love this, love this phrase. He says this, Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mould, but let God remould your minds from within. It's a great way of putting it, isn't it? Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mould, but let God remould you, your minds from within. The message translation of that verse puts it like this. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. So it's easy to follow the pattern of the world, isn't it? It's easy to do the same thing. Even argue that that we're engaging with the culture while we do it. No. We need to be engaging with the culture, yes, but not allowing it to shape us. Don't allow the culture around you to shape you. You should be the ones, I should be the ones, shaping the culture that we find ourselves in. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mould but let God remould your minds from within. God wants to do something within us that changes the very way in which we live. 
And as I said, it doesn't happen by us following a list of rules and regulations, but by giving the Holy Spirit free reign to live within us and change us from the inside out. In letter to the Hebrews, we find this in Hebrews 12. It says this, verse 1, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's a great time, the new year, to get rid of the sin that so easily entangles anything that hinders you to start running that race or perhaps restart running that race for God that he's got marked out for you. Peter goes on, be holy. It's as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, changing us from the inside out, that we become holy. So Peter says, don't conform to your previous evil desires. Be holy. It's got echoes of uh, God's command in Leviticus 11, where God says, I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. We're called to be holy because that's what God is like. Holy means dedicated to God, set apart, if you like. Not set apart and removed from the world, but set apart as different and living for God within it. So holiness is what we're, holy is what we're aiming to be. But it's not a feeling, it's a state. You see, God has already made you holy in Christ. Now you have to live in the good of it. Holiness is not a feeling. Holiness is a life lived to the glory of God and to his eternal praise, said Martin Lloyd-Jones to quote him once again. And this is important because when you wake up in the morning... Your first thought may not be, wow, I'm feeling holy this morning. You know, who woke up and thought, wow, I feel holy this morning? It just doesn't happen like that, does it? (coughs) But the issue is not about how you feel. It's about how God sees you and how you live as a result of it. Be holy because I am holy, says God. And he's made us holy, so now we need to live in the good of it. So, are you living a life that gives glory to God in the way you live? Is it glorifying Jesus? Is it a holy life? Verse 22, Peter says, love one another deeply. Love one another deeply. And and this one is part of our vision, isn't it? In case you've forgotten, the the things that we're going for, uh, to be a church that loves God, to be a church that loves one another, To be a church that loves those who don't know Jesus yet and be a church that reaches the nations. So this is is right core to who we are, loving one another. Peter must remember Jesus telling the the band of disciples to love one another in John 13. You can look it up. We don't have time to look at it now. The Bible has lots to say, doesn't it? Using this phrase, one another. Or each other. If you were to do a a Bible study, looking up those sort of references, you'd find a whole list of uh, commands to honour one another, be devoted to one another, to not judge one another, to greet one another, to serve, bear with one another, be kind and compassionate, to forgive, encourage, and so the list goes on of one another's. 
But probably the whole list could be summed up in the phrase of three words, love one another. And this is what Jesus commanded us to do. And as we do that, it demonstrates to the world around us that something has happened in our lives. Something has changed. Jesus said, didn't he, that by loving one another, all men would see that we are his disciples. That's what Jesus said. So how does Acts 2 put it? Well, Acts 2 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, Acts 2.42. They were devoted to one another. And this word devotion was, was expressed in their care for and the fact they served one another. We could perhaps use the word community to sum it up, to describe it. Now, it's really hard at this point for me to not turn this point into a whole preach because you'll know that I love that passage from Acts 2 and I could quite easily spend a good hour or two just on that section. But for the sake of your Sunday lunch, which may be in the oven even as we speak, I will work hard to condense this and to keep it short. But to remind us, nevertheless, that this is important. Part of loving one another deeply is to encourage community, community life. It's one reason, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that our life groups are so important. It's hard to have community, really, with this many people on a Sunday morning. You can't do it. You're not going to know everybody else really well. But in a small group, you can. You can get to know one another, you can love one another, show care for and and learn with one another together. So so how do we encourage that community feel? How do we encourage that community life? Well, we need to be sure in our own minds it's what God commands us to do. And it is. If you're not sure, then come and see me, and I'll happily spend the the couple of hours that I'm not going to spend now going through some scripture with you. But time and time again, you, you find this in the Bible. And even when outlining requirements for leadership... Paul talks to Timothy and to Titus about hospitality. 1 Timothy 3, verse 3 verses. You want to look it up when you get home. Now, all the qualities he lists are great to go for, whether we're leaders or not, but he includes in there being hospitable. So my question is this, are you being hospitable? Is being hospitable part of your everyday life? Let's make a point of having open homes encouraging one another to, to come in, to, to have meals, to make friends. It's quite hard to do that in a large city. It's, it's arguably easy to do it in a small town. But we need to make sure we're doing it because it's core to who we are. As we do this, says Jesus, people will see that we are his disciples. It says something to people around us. Now, I've, I've talked before about how <coughs> hospitality doesn't have to be um, necessarily a, a huge uh, event. It isn't quite the same. It doesn't have to be putting on a big dinner party every time you invite somebody over. It might just be saying to somebody, look, we're eating at six. Come and join us for an hour. You know, it's great, isn't it, to, to put some effort in sometimes to, uh, to work hard, cook that extra special meal, uh, and to go to town and have friends over. Now, we love doing that. That's good. But by the same count, we just love having people over to eat with us. Whether it's just what we happen to be eating, or in my case, burning. Yes, I burnt tuna pasta bake this week. 
And uh, so when Sarah came in, having been out with Vicky, and said, oh, why don't you come in and eat, Vicky? We've got some food. I'm thinking, oh, no. He's <laughs> managed to burn that. But you were very gracious. You ate it, I think. But whether it's just that, whether it's, you know, just getting a takeaway together, or, or it's, you know, just going to the extra, going, for, going to town on the meal, it doesn't really matter. Actually, the issue is not what the food is. The issue is you're sharing lives together. And building community life. It is just really having an extra plate. That's all it is. It's having an extra plate and inviting somebody around to come and eat from it. And um, I, I remember the church that I was part of in Bedford for a year. I was only there for a year. There wasn't one Sunday when I wasn't invited back to someone's home for lunch. It wasn't always the same people. It was different people. I just turned up in, in the place, didn't know anybody, and uh, I wasn't there for very long, but every Sunday for the, through the year I was there. I'd get invited back to different people's for lunch. It was just part of the culture of the church, that's just what I did. It wasn't a big church, wasn't a rich church, but boy, they knew how to live lives together and to share lives together and build community. Thoroughly part of their culture, so... I want to urge us to make sure it's part of our culture too. So it's just having that extra plate. It's just perhaps it's just making what you've got go a little bit further and uh, inviting somebody over, a couple of people, saying, why don't you come and eat with us? That's, that's really all it is. It doesn't even have to take up the whole evening or, or the whole time. It's just having an extra plate. I mean, I'm so convinced of this. If you say to me, Graham, I love the idea, but I just don't have an extra plate. I will buy you an extra plate and a knife and a fork to go on either side of it, providing that you promise me you will invite people around to eat from it. Is that a good deal? Maybe you're a student, you're saying, well, I've just got one plate and a knife and fork, that's all I have. I will buy you another one if you invite someone around to eat from it. Friends, this is core to who we are. Let's make sure we're living lives together Sharing our homes, sharing lives, sharing food as well, and uh, loving one another. Because as we do that, people say, hey, something different here. I've seen something. They really love one another. They really care for one another. It does say something. It really does to people as they look in. Part of it, too, is, is serving one another. That's part of loving one another deeply. Is putting other people ahead of ourselves, putting their needs ahead of ours. Maybe you're already serving in Jubilee. Many of you give uh, hours to teaching our kids, leading life groups, making budgets balanced, leading youth work, setting up sound and visual systems, and a whole host of other things that makes church life happen. And if you're doing that already, I want to thank you. Seriously. Thank you for serving so well. Thank you for making church life happen. We couldn't do this without you. We wouldn't be here. We couldn't do what we're doing. Unless many of you gave of your time and energy like that. But also I know there are many who haven't quite yet found their niche yet. Haven't found the area that God has got for them to serve in. Well, serving is just really about being part of the family. I remember from quite a young age being taught what it was to be part of a family. And there were some responsibilities and some privileges. So when I was younger, it may have taken the shape of helping with the washing up or clearing the table after dinner. 
As I got older, my responsibilities changed. They may have been to tidy my bedroom. I was really good at that one. Or, or perhaps give my younger sister lifts in the car from, that I borrowed from my mum. Now, I had certain privileges in being part of the family, like being able to turn up and know that there was going to be a, a meal made for me and uh, knowing that I was loved and accepted, knowing I had a room and a roof over my head. But with those privileges went some responsibilities that I was asked to do. It's part of being a family, isn't it? It's part of just living together. There's nothing extraordinary in that. So like in any family, we need to take some responsibilities for things. And uh, I saw as I was growing up that serving was just part of living the Christian life. It was biblical. It was essential to the running of the local church. And it was just what you did. And it was a way of worshipping God, actually, as well. Serving was a way and is a way of worshipping God. It's true for us. Serving comes out of our love for God and being part of the family. So I want to encourage you. If you haven't yet found that area for you to serve in, then get stuck in. Find an area to give yourselves to. Maybe you need to try a few areas out. Don't feel that just by turning up you're committing yourself for life. It might just be, well, I'm not sure what I'm like with kids, so maybe I'll just try it for a couple of weeks. That's, that's fine. Do that. Maybe you think, oh, I'd, I think I'd quite like to help all this you know, techie stuff, but I'm not sure it's really for me. Well, just, just try it for a couple of weeks. Maybe you're thinking, I'd quite like to lead a, a small group. You know, I'd like to open my home and have some people around. Well, come and talk to me. We can talk about how that might work for you. So if you haven't yet found your niche, let me encourage you to do that and, and to give yourselves to, to finding what it is that God has for you as we seek to serve one another and to worship him as we do that. You'll make friends, you'll worship God, you'll help church life happen and also help us grow and reach more people who don't know Jesus yet. Which is why we're here, isn't it? It's not about our, our entertainment. We're here to reach people who don't know Jesus yet. Yes, to love one another along the way, to care for one another, to build each other up, but with the purpose of then reaching out, of then bringing other people in, introducing other people to what we have. Hey, if you want to know more about different teams to serve on, come and see me, drop the officer line, speak to Jill, maybe she's compiling a list for me at the moment. Let, let, just, just, just find out and, uh, and go for it this year. We need to, to wind up really. Paul, uh, sorry, Peter <laughs> talks about ridding ourselves of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. It carries on with this theme of holiness, doesn't it? I don't think it's an exhaustive list. But watch out for those things in your life. Let's make sure we don't allow any of those into the church as well. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Let's make sure Jubilee is a place where none of that happens. And he finishes off in uh, verse 2 of chapter 2 by saying, Crave pure spiritual milk. <sighs> Finally, crave pure spiritual milk. Newborn babies crave milk, don't they? Whether it comes straight from their mother or via a bottle, they just want feeding. They just want the milk. They just want feeding from it. And Peter is saying, just like babies crave that milk, we should crave spiritual milk to feed us to do us good and to help us grow. What is it for us? It's God's words. It's this book. So do you crave it? Do you crave meeting the God of it? 
I found it interesting as I was looking at this this week that Peter called the spiritual milk pure. Do you notice that? He could have just said, crave spiritual milk. We would have gone, okay, that's, that's good. But he says, crave pure spiritual milk. This spiritual milk is pure. It's all good. There's nothing harmful in here. It's like those bottles of juice that say 100% pure on it. This is 100% pure. It will do you good as you read it and as you encounter the God of it. So there's some things there that follow this word, therefore. Because of everything we learnt last week, because of all that God has done for us, Therefore, says Peter, be self-controlled. Therefore, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Therefore, don't conform to the evil desires you used to have. Be holy. Love one another deeply. Rid yourself of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, and crave pure spiritual milk. Let's stand together and we're going to close. If the band could come up, please, I'd like us to, to sing together. If we can sing Jesus, Holy and Anointed One, that that would be great. Did you just say that? (laughs) Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your words to us. Thank you for all that we can learn from uh, this letter of Peter's. And we pray, Lord God, that you would apply it to our lives. Help us, Lord, not just to be hearers of the word, but doers also. Lord, that you might be glorified in our lives as we, as we live for you. Change us from the inside out, Lord, that we might live for you and honour you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord. As I was preparing for this message this week, I was praying, asking God what he'd got for us. There's a few things that I wanted to, to bring right at the end, and maybe you feel you want to respond to some of these things. So, we haven't got long for this, so, so listen up, let's be really quick. But maybe this morning you think, yeah, as I go into a new year, there's, uh, there's some sin that I want to get rid of. Maybe you're thinking, I just need to, to get shot of that. It needs to go. Well, I'd love to pray for you this morning, if that's you. Getting rid of that, that sin or whatever it might be that has maybe entangled you. That if you can think of an area of your life that is holding you back like that, be it a sin or something else that has entangled you, then I want to pray for you this morning that God will set you free. And that you would know freedom as we enter this new year and you'd be able to run for him and for all that he has for you. And maybe you feel that as a Christian, you've just got a bit bogged down. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'd, I'd love to run, but it's just got, I've just, life has just bogged you down. It may not be sinful. It may just be just stuff has got on top of you. Do you know what I mean? It's got bogged you down a bit. And if that's you, I'd love to pray for you this morning that God would come to you as well. That you might run again the race that he has for you. Maybe for you this morning, you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus. You don't yet have a relationship with him. 
Maybe you're thinking, yeah, I'd love that this morning. I'd love to know more about that. Then uh, just as we sing this song, you come as well. I'd love to talk with you further. Maybe pray with you. Maybe this morning you just want to say before God, yeah, I'm going to commit myself to being hospitable or commit myself to serving, whatever it might be for you. If that's you and you want to take a step to, to show God that you mean business in that, then that's fine too. You can do that and we'll pray for you. But just as we sing this together, if you fall into any of those categories, then can I ask you to come? Just come to the front, stand in front of the front row and uh, we'll pray for you and ask God to minister to you by his Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.